0: I'm Audrey, and you're listening to Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show with our dad, our dad Jeff, Jeff Shulman. Shulman. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and I'm excited to welcome you back to another episode of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show. The pandemic has ushered Seattle into a time of great uncertainty and anxiety. Will the city continue to be a desirable place to live, to work, and to do business? Will the economic and population growth of the last decade continue to transform Seattle into the 20s? Together, we are going to find out the answers to these questions and more. Thanks to the kind folks at KBFG Radio, I am taking to the streets of Seattle, equipped with a mobile recording studio that allows for safe, socially distanced interviews. I'll be asking roughly the same questions of all my guests this season, But what you'll hear will be quite different as each person is navigating their own challenges and reacting to Seattle's changes in their own way. Today, you'll get to know the president of the iconic retailer, Nordstrom, as I have a conversation with three-time Seattle Growth Podcast guest, Pete Nordstrom. From him, you'll hear what emerging trends in retail were accelerated by the pandemic and how the company is responding. In a very candid interview, Pete Nordstrom comments on the changes in the city and the outlook for the future. You'll also hear from Robbie Hill, whose funk and soul music captured the hearts of Seattle as he topped the charts and toured the country with Robbie Hill's family affair. Hill shares what he is seeing during the bus rides in the midst of the pandemic, and he also has an ask of you, the listeners of Seattle Growth Podcast. Combined, these interviews give you distinct perspectives on how people are navigating the pandemic and what the future holds for our city. Now, join me as I have a conversation with Pete Nordstrom. I am here with three-time Seattle Growth Podcast guest, Pete Nordstrom. He's the president of the iconic retailer based here in Seattle that bears his family name. Pete, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start, I know you've been on twice already, but for the new listener, just tell them a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I grew up here in the Seattle area. I uh, grew up on Mercer Island, the high school there, and I went to the University of Washington, which we're standing out on campus today. It's really nice. I haven't been here in a while, it's really quite pleasant. Um, that I went to school here, I was an English major, and uh, and I got started working in uh, my family's business right away. Actually, as a teenager, I sold shoes and what have you there, and, and as soon as I graduated from college, I started my full-time professional journey here, um, working at Nordstrom. I've, I've moved a couple times uh, with my job, both times to California, but I've been back up in this area now for, gosh, it's been know, 25 years or so, and basically doing the job I've, I'm doing right now for about the last 20 years. And, uh,
0: we've been on twice now, but these are some unique times that we're all facing with the pandemic. Uh, the last nine months have been trying for so many people across the country and here in Seattle. Can you share a little bit about how you're coping with the pandemic, uh, either personally and or professionally?
1: Yeah, that could take a while because it's, uh, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's got a little bit of a story to tell. Um, boy, I mean, I personally, I'll start there. It's uh, It's been challenging, but you know, it's hard for me to feel, no one should feel sorry for me because certainly when times are challenging like this, whether it's people's personal health or the situation they find themselves in as a result of, you know, COVID and the economy getting shut down, and all that stuff. I mean, I, you know, no one should feel sorry for me, but I mean, my life's been impacted uh, quite a bit. You know I, I work from home now mostly like 95 percent of the time and that takes a little getting used to. I've, I've got two young kids at home <laughs> so that that's something you know it's one thing during the summer but it's certainly something else now when they're doing virtual learning so I you know that I hear that kind of going on while I'm trying to do my work as well and um, I mean, the silver lining of that I get to spend a lot of time with my family but it's also nice to have some separation, and you know, it's clearly not my typical routine. and I've, I've really learned that uh, that I like being around people. A big part of what I enjoy about my job is being able to interact with people and all the spontaneous stuff that goes along with that over the course of a day, you know, I just don't really have that as much anymore. So in a lot of ways, my job isn't as enjoyable, I guess I'd say, but it's certainly doable. Um, so that's the personal stuff. And then you know professionally, um, you know yeah, the job's doable and what have you, but uh, our business has just gone through remarkable seismic you know existential change um, it's It's really been quite something i mean i I would I guess I'd sum it up by saying that uh all the changes that were happening in our industry and in retailing, the stuff we're going through now it was known, it's just been accelerated. It was stuff that we knew was coming and was evolving, you know, over some period of time, but it all got just amplified and accelerated and really in hyper speed. And so it's brought about a remarkable amount of of change. And uh, we've had to do things related to, you know, managing for cash and, and all that kind of stuff that we've never had any experience doing before. You know, we're a big successful company, but, You know, even a company like ours, if you don't have customers coming through and the revenue gets cut dramatically, it makes a big, big difference. So we've had to go through all kinds of changes, not the least of which is dealing with the expenses related to people and having to lay off a fair amount of people. That was really difficult. And then just changing, kind of evolving how we do business. You know, we're lucky that we've got physical stores and we've got the internet presence and and it's a... It's a significant online business that we do, but that has shifted quite a bit. And it just brings a whole host of operational process challenges, as well as just you know, commercial challenges in, in, in the industry that we're in. So I, I don't know that I could uh, overstate how seismic that's all been and, and, and really continues to be.
0: And so you talked about the layoffs, which is a, a tough part of the adaptation to this new reality. Are there any changes that you've made that you're particularly proud of in response to the pandemic at Nordstrom?
1: Well, you know, I, I think uh, the stuff that we've had going for us is that we've got a real customer-focused business. And so where the customer goes, that's where we follow. So it's it's not like we had to make up something that it wasn't self-evident. It was just a matter of changing with alacrity, with speed and, and agility um, but, you know, if anything, it just further grounded the whole premise that, you know, we're going to be successful if we're relevant to customers, and it's, it's never been more so true than right now, and it's, and it's really driven a lot of, of change.
0: You know, with the quarantine and the six feet apart, sweatpants kind of became the uh, outfit of the, the spring and might be the outfit of the fall. How does Nordstrom react to the fact that, people don't need to dress up as often anymore.
1: Well, like I said, I mean, the, the trend around casualization generally has been upon us. And when I say that, if you think about what people were to work, you know, when I was a young younger person, um, you clearly had a work wardrobe and then you had a wardrobe for, you know, social or being at home or doing stuff on the weekend. And and really, um, that whole kind of more formal kind of work uniform wardrobe that you know typically business people would wear. I mean, that, that was coming, and you certainly felt it in a place like Seattle where they're, you know, because you've got more of the dot-com type businesses which have that type of personality and culture anyway. But um, the stuff that's really changed is just, the, again, the well, it's been accelerated is the casualization. So that's not new, but... The thing that's really been an abrupt change and will likely come back in some form is how people dress for occasions. And if you think about our business, it's a fair amount of business that we do is about people buying something for an occasion. Like, hey, I'm going to a wedding or I'm getting married or I'm going on a vacation or I've got a job interview or it's my high school reunion. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And all of those events have stopped, all of them. I mean, if they happen, they're happening virtually, right? So you don't really need to get dressed for the occasion. So if you think about that, that's been a pretty serious uh, change in terms of what drives um, buying behavior. And if you think about it, you know, we're, there's some retailers that are doing that excellent in this time, but they're basically you known as essential types of businesses. Well, there, there's nothing that we sell that people need. There's things that we sell that people want. And so it's it's much more difficult yes we are selling a lot more of active clothes generally you talk about sweatpants so whether that's people wanting it for practical reasons because they want to be outside and exercising which has been true or just like it's a comfort play or hey if i can wear whatever i want i'm going to be as comfortable as possible all that's true you know things like the home category which we've not been big in in the past um we're, we're growing very very quickly because people are at home they're cooking at home they're you know they're they're there all day long and maybe the work from home environment needs to be improved or changed or you know that's where they are it's where they're investing their their money um, and then generally categories like wellness um, anything kind of related to that has been good so the good news is we were in all those businesses the tough news is we had to accelerate and amplify and distort those categories in ways that was way beyond an incremental, natural progression it would normally take. And at the same time, like some of those occasion businesses, I mean, you know, leather sole dress shoes or suits or ties or, you know, dresses for women. I mean, you know, that that's just not happening right now.
0: I wanna go back to kind of coping with COVID, maybe from a professional standpoint, what aspects of How Seattle is navigating through this pandemic has been a positive for how Nordstrom's reacting to the changes around us.
1: I think the only thing that makes coping with COVID somewhat better being in Seattle, and this is just my impression from you know we have stores all over the country, you know we have over fifty thousand employees, and you know we've we've got a pretty good read on what happens across the country. Uh, Since the COVID thing kind of happened first here, and I think there was a lot of heightened awareness about it. It, we this city quickly jumped into an understanding of what was happening. And so when it came to like wearing masks or social distancing or any of the changes that were happening, people here didn't seem to fight that at all. It wasn't like we had any kind of push and pull about what to do. You know what I mean? I, I kind of felt like there was a like-minded spirit about doing the right thing. And so that hasn't really been much of a challenge for us here. I think it's been more difficult in other parts of the country. But other than that, I would say what's been difficult, and it's mostly has to do with doing business in an urban center in downtown Seattle. You know, downtowns in this across the country in this moment, that's that's tough. Um, and you, if you've been downtown Seattle at all in the last few months, I mean, it's it's changed so much. I mean, so many businesses are boarded up and closed, some temporarily, lot forever are gone. You know, something will will fill its place over time, but. If you just think about purely the stuff that drove business and traffic for us in a physical store like downtown, it's people that work in the area. Well, that ain't happening. You know, people aren't really going to work. It's tourists. None of that's happening. They're not coming in. So it was just a, a dramatic haircut in terms of just the traffic. And you know, and just, I think being our hometown where our corporate offices are and, and some of the stuff that's the fallout of what's happened in Seattle, not only just about COVID, but if you, if you put on top of that the civil unrest and the stuff related to racism and all these other issues that manifests itself with people demonstrating and protesting a lot of that happens in downtown urban areas that's I mean that's not been good for business that's for sure now it's a moment in time I I think that'll come back but I mean it's clearly a different situation just going across the bridge to Bellevue and the kind of business that's happening there more organically compared to what's happening in a physical store like Seattle at this time.
0: I want to switch gears to talk a little bit more about the changes, maybe outside of COVID. And I think you touched upon at least one of them here. Before we get to the changes in Seattle and the outlook for the future, new this year, uh, since you're a three-time guest, this is new this year, uh, trivia. So I just Uh want to interrupt for some trivia. Okay. And I, I know you're a musician. And so this one is up your alley. Okay. Season four, I had a guest on my podcast, Jason Finn. Sure. And I'm curious if you could name the band, the Grammy-nominated and platinum-selling band out of Seattle that Jason Finn was a part of.
1: Yeah, well, that was The Presidents. But before that, he was in Love Battery, and he still does some shows of Love Battery. I was a big Love Battery fan back in the day. So I was aware of Jason. I, I know him a little bit now. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, but he was in The Presidents of the United States of America and i think they were Grammy nominated right is that right we
0: got to keep the listeners in suspense Okay. you said it with such confidence that i'm afraid that they might uh suspect that you you are correct but i I'm am gonna, correct i'm going to leave pretty them sure I'm hanging correct <laughs> i'm going to leave them hanging for a couple uh questions here let's get back to what we're here to talk about which are the changes in outlook uh, for seattle are there any other changes in seattle in these last 9 months that are affecting you personally or professionally
1: well, I think just kind of the downtown Seattle situation now and the the politics that are involved there, um, you know, again, I think anyone can deal with something that's a moment in time, but if it implies a lot of changes over longer stretches, I mean, it's everything from the a head tax to big employers to just the pure amount of business coming through to, through town to are we going to be working in an office or working remotely? You know, we've got buildings and stuff. I mean, there's just, there's a, for a company like ours based in Seattle, what happens in downtown Seattle has a big impact on us. And, um, it's not clear how that's all going to unfold. Uh, I, I think it'll all come back eventually, but you know, it, it's going to take some time. And, uh, I'm reminded of that every time I go, I, I go in, once every week or two our office in downtown Seattle above the store and it is a stark reminder of you know how different it is in this moment and just it gives me some anxiety about how that's going to come back and when
0: and then what about positive changes have there been any positive changes in Seattle in these last 9 months that have impacted you personally or professionally
1: again i think i would go back to just the general spirit of the people that i've been around and that i know and and I think that's people coming together to kind of work through this. It feels like Seattle's got a pretty healthy spirit um, and sense of community. I think there's been a lot of um, willingness and desire for people to extend themselves and to, to help in the community where they can. I, I see a lot of that happening, that makes me feel good. Um, so yeah, I, I would say in, in tough times, you, you learn the spirit about a community. And I'd i say this one's pretty positive in that regard.
0: Would you like to go ask the listener anything that they could do to kind of make more positive changes here in Seattle?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things we've done in our workplace that ties back to the Seattle issue is, um, you know, we had a lot of kind of town hall types of meetings with employees and stuff, trying to keep people connected and, and work through stuff in those early months and as the, a lot of the civil unrest, unrest stuff started happening, that what was really clear is that we had this employee base, and again, it's a diverse group of people across the country. the The common thread was people felt really frustrated that there was a lot of divisiveness, a lot of issues. They wanted to, our people tend to be solution-oriented people; they want to do something constructive, and so we just thought about what can we do that gives people. A constructive outlet around solutions that actually, if you know, if they want change or whatever it is, they can be a part of that. And what we landed on was, let's make voting a a big thing for us. Let's enable our team, uh, people who work for us, to vote. Let's do what we can to support getting out the vote, just generally across the country. And that's been super well received. Um, again, I, it feels constructive. I mean, you can complain about stuff all day long. The only thing you can really do to change stuff at that kind of level is to vote. And I guess the same thing would be true on a smaller scale, locally. And I mean, if, if people out there or anything, anyone like me, I don't tend to pay a ton of attention to local politics or know who to vote for and what all the exact issues are. But you know, I think what you're seeing is if if you abdicate. And if you just kind of give up your right to have a voice and vote, then decisions will get made in that vacuum. And I, and I, again, I get the impression people around here care about the community and they want to do right by that. So the positive part of that, the constructive part of it is, you know, maybe it gets people more engaged in, in things that are happening locally. So they will have their voice heard. And, you know, again, for us, our position, at least as a company is not about who you vote for, but. But be engaged in that, take that responsibility seriously, be authentic to yourself and and be part of solutions and something constructive. And so I, I think the voting deal is something that hopefully people locally will, because, if, you know, we got some issues in downtown Seattle and the, a lot of issues just, you know, with the city that really only gets solved through people's involvement and because they care.
0: So let's talk just briefly about this new initiative where you are letting all of your retail employees ha- have a holiday on election day. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. What do you hope that means on its own and what do you hope comes from it afterwards?
1: Well, first of all, we're gonna be open those days. So if you work in a store, you know people will, will work, but it's like a lot of the holidays. We'll, we'll pay people time and a half and we're open, but we are closing early that day so that we give everyone a chance to be able to go out and vote. What What do we hope comes from that? Well, first of all, I think if you just look at through the the aperture of what's going on our business, it's important um, that we as leaders are doing things to engage and support and empower the people that work there to make them feel connected to something that has some sense of purpose, stands for something. And this has been an opportunity for us to do that. I mean, we just can't, you know, be like, we're all for good and we're against evil. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's, it needs to be more than that, and so I think it's given us an opportunity to put a more of a human quality on what our business is rather than just this machine that's kind of a faceless, big corporate enterprise. And ultimately, in a business like ours, and I'm, I, I would guess for all businesses, you get a lot more out of the people working for you if they feel personally connected to what's going on there and they feel like, I like this place. Because its values resonate with my values and my beliefs. And so it gave us an opportunity. And it was also not just the voting thing, but just like the racial equity, all all that stuff. I mean, it gave us a chance really to talk through that and learn a lot about each other and figure out how we could be more supportive of each other. So I guess that would be a silver lining for our businesses that during this tough time, it's given us all a chance to come together around, you know, some of the more human kind of qualities that bind people together in a business.
0: So now let's talk about uh, the future. So we talked a lot about the changes and and kind of what you're doing now in terms of uh, giving a a holiday for uh, your employees on election day. What do you see for the future of Seattle? We've had an unprecedented number of people and amount of money moving into the city these last 10 years. And I'm curious what you expect in the months ahead, the few years ahead and in the long run.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, clearly the Seattle's got, the, the city has got to adjust to how just the demographics have changed so much. And a lot of that has to do with the money that's in this town. And one of the things that's great about having business in this area is that the health, the economy's relatively healthy because you've got a diverse bunch of businesses here that are big and successful. That's a real good thing. But I I think the the way the money's kind of poured in, in a lot of ways it's amplified the haves and have nots, created a bigger bifurcation there. And that comes, that comes at a cost. I mean, I think you gotta be prepared to deal with that stuff. And so I, I just think it requires a more thoughtful approach to making sure that the community is a healthy community. And it, you know, a healthy community, and this would be the same for the country, isn't just healthy, healthy because it works for a small subset of people, it's gotta work for people broadly. And so I, I just think stuff like being more aware of the breadth of what happens here. And it, for this to be a vibrant and successful city, you'd need all that, all those components. You, you need diversity in all regards. And I think we've got to make the city a place that's livable and workable for people that aren't super rich, you know, and, and, and tied to some of these super successful businesses. we got. It's got to work for for more people, and that that to me seems like a real obvious opportunity.
0: And so, with the changes in downtown, in terms of the number of employees who were historically coming in and are not coming in, at least until July, and perhaps even beyond that, do you see any changes to the downtown Nordstrom location?
1: Well, you know, this is our our home. This is where our offices are. I mean, it would it would be a huge undertaking to move the corporate center and all that stuff. I mean, I do think we've learned that we can work from home. So I I think the idea that 100% of the corporate types of employees have to come into an office every day, that's not true anymore. So that'll change. Um, We won't end up needing as much office space as we need now. we got to work through that and see exactly what that's going to look like. So so that's going to change a little bit. In terms of us having a, a physical store in the downtown Seattle area, I mean, again, my presumption is this is a, a healthy community, with, a diverse community with, that's got money and all that stuff. got a lot going for it. So I, I think there's a place for a successful store, but it, it's, it's, it's not going to be as successful as it should be unless people feel safe and feel comfortable being there and right now. That's a little dicey and not just from the COVID perspective, but I mean, just kind of the safety perspective and stuff. And, um, you know, a, a vibrant city that invites a lot of people, a lot of activity just is inherently safer. So I guess we have to wait and see how that all goes, but there's, there's no foreseeable future plans about making any decision about a, a physical store or anything like that, nor our, you know, our, our headquarters. Um, I, I think. We have a desire to be here, but you know, again, if you're based out of downtown Seattle and the, the city politics of that make it so onerous to do business in town, I mean, at a certain point that comes at a price and a consequence. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope nothing changes there, but I, we also can't dig on our heels and say, we'll never change no matter what, because that gets back to my original answers. We're a business about customers. What works for them makes them relevant. And we're a public company. we've got to we've got to position ourselves to be able to make money and be successful.
0: And are you to summarize, are you bullish or bearish on Seattle as a whole and downtown in particular? or somewhere in between?
1: I, you know, I think I'm somewhere in between. I mean, I have been super bullish about it, but in this moment, it's hard to know. I think it's it's raised probably more questions than it has answers. And, you know, we're as interested and concerned as anybody else Um, that really counts on downtown Seattle being healthy and vibrant. So, you know, I guess I guess we'll we'll see. I mean, I think we certainly want to be engaged and part of solutions and and doing things that are constructive to help. Um, We don't want to just sit there and complain. Um, But I, I think it's important that, you know, these subjects get addressed so that we can get healthy again as quick as possible.
0: All right. So I want to give you a chance for concluding thoughts. Uh, Last message for the listeners. But first, I have to tell the listeners as what they already know is that you are 100% correct on Jason Finn being the uh, drummer for the presidents of the United States of America. So... With that, thanks for, I I, I gave you too much of a softball on the trivia. That was a good
1: one. I like that. Um, I like Jason. He's a good guy. I appreciate the question.
0: Yeah. uh, Next time I'll pick somebody that you aren't friends with, (laughs) make it harder. Um, But anyway, now it's time to leave the listener with any concluding thoughts that you have.
1: My concluding thoughts is, I I mean, I'd like to be optimistic about stuff, but I think we're going to have to rely on people's nature. To want to do good, you know, and I think um, I think most people clearly feel that way. I, I'm, I'm interested in a, in a return to civility and respect and ideas of equality and all those things. Those those mean a lot to me, and I think to our our business, I think we want to do anything we can to support that stuff. I think, you know, the divisiveness and the rancor and the discord and contentiousness that all of us are dealing with in all aspects of life. I mean, it's just, in a lot of ways, it just doesn't feel sustainable. And I don't, again, I don't think it's our nature generally. So, you know, I, I guess what I would say is I'm hopeful and I just, I'm encouraging of everyone to do what they can within their sphere of influence to, to make it a great place to be. And that starts, you know, at home with the way that you act and the how you conduct yourself and the, the stuff they're willing to support and, and all that kind of stuff. And and also the stuff you you've got to reject that you can't just stand idly by and say it's okay. Um, but I, I guess I, I believe firmly that most people feel that same way. I, I actually had someone ask me like, oh my, you know, that doesn't live in Seattle. Like, oh my God, in Seattle it must be terrible. You know, they'd see this stuff on in the on the news. And I said, well, you know there's a lot of nice people here. This town is mostly full of nice, reasonable people that want the best for their community. So I said, don't read in too much to what you might see on the news. It's not like it's been taken over by a bunch of people that have horrible intentions. I, I think that's a small, small minority, but the people that, in the in the majority that that want to do the right thing, they've got to you know flex their muscles a little bit and be heard and make sure that the, the city reflects their values and what they want out of the place and not I'm gonna leave by saying I'm hopeful that that's the case and uh, things will just get better from here.
0: Pete, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate uh, your time and perspective for the third time here on Seattle Growth Podcast.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you inviting me back and I'm happy to, to meet with you again, whenever that might be. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Next up is an interview with famed musician, Robbie Hill, whose music appears in On the Brink, the documentary I produced about the changes in Seattle's Central District. Before we get to the interview, now's a good time to pause this episode and rate Seattle Growth Podcast on Apple Podcasts. A few seconds of your time to leave a five-star review can help make sure your fellow community members in Seattle get to hear diverse perspectives on the changes in the city and what we can expect for the future. I'm hoping this season gives everyone a chance to hear that they are not alone in the challenges they are experiencing and how they are reacting to them. It's a chance for you, and the friends you could tell about the podcast to get an unbiased, unfiltered view of what is happening in our city. Please subscribe in your favorite podcasting app to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And remember to rate it so your friends don't miss it either. Now to hear a perspective from a Seattle Central District resident, join me in my conversation with Robbie Hill. I'm here in the Central District with a good friend of mine, Robbie Hill. He is the star of Robbie Hill's Family Affair, a band that topped the charts locally and uh, hit the charts nationally, and whose music appears in the documentary I produced and co-directed On the Brink. Robbie, it is great to see you again. Thanks for joining me today.
2: Pleasure seeing you again, brother. Do you mind just telling the listener a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I um, was born in California, but then uh, through my parents, we ended up when I was probably the age, about nine years old, in Seattle, Washington, and uh, been here ever since. My parents has also owned Hills Brothers Barbecue Place and uh, working through there. And then in time, I decided at the age of uh, 16 to go professionally into music. And so let's talk Hills Brothers
0: Barbecue before we get to my scripted questions, because when we were sharing the documentary On the Brink and you would speak to the audiences afterwards, So many people remembered what Hill's Brothers Barbecue meant to them. Could you just talk a little bit about what it meant to you?
2: Yeah, what it meant to me was to see my parents' dreams uh, come true in this business. And then we got some of our values, my cousin Zebedee and my brother Will, Kenny, and and David, and my mother, Maxine, uh, working through that business. It gave us a sense of pride and uh, a sense of a development into the business world uh, before I decided to go into music.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about Robbie Hill's Family Affair?
2: Yeah, uh, Family Affair, I was with a group called Black on White Affair for several years. And after that uh, disbanded, I thought about this a long time. I said, well, being with them, I've got a lot of experience knowing how to uh, form a group, being as a leader, and then talking with my brothers, William Hill and Kenny Hill, and I, like I said in the movie, if I said that, but I know in several of the documentaries i talked about, you know, they always wanted to know what it was like being on stage. I said, find out what it is that you would like to do, whether it's instrument or singing. I'm going to be on the road for a year, and when I come back, I'm going to take a listen at you guys. Lord, have mercy, was I blown away, Jeff. It's just like they were made for that, for what I needed. Then my cousin Zebedee played keyboard, and I said, you know what? I'm going to put a group together called Robbie Hill's Family Fair. Family. And uh, I tell you, Jeff, the Lord has really blessed me, and Seattle has really been behind everything we've done here in Seattle, from playing with major big stars, from having a number one hit record, and it's just been phenomenal. And uh, that's something that I never forget. And least I can say I've done that in my life.
0: And now I wanna to transition to uh, the topic for this season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Uh, one aspect of this is just how are people coping with the pandemic? And I'm curious if you could share a little bit about how you're getting through these trying times.
2: Well, Jeff, it's, it's not easy. Uh, I try to do what the scientists say, You know, stay six feet apart wash my hands, and wear my mask, but I'm just really hurting of all the things that is taken away from people, and to see the deaths of uh, the coronavirus people, it really hurts my heart. You know, it's been trying for people all around the country,
0: and I'm curious, in these trying times, what aspect of going through these trying times in Seattle has been positive for you?
2: Well, what made it easier for me, I talk to people all the time, and I try to spread the word about, you know, staying your distance, washing your hands, wearing your mask. But what's really positive for me is I'm at home a lot, but just staying creative into my music and thinking of ways to where I can share some of my music with the public and maybe that could help them go through these crises. And what aspects of living in
0: Seattle during these trying times has been negative?
2: Uh... I'm starting to see a lot of people that are not following the rules. And then it just seems, it appears to me, some of the ways that people are acting, their conduct, I begin to think, do they have coronavirus in the brain?
0: <laughs> uh, could, you, could you explain what
2: you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is people are starting to do weird things. They're acting strange. They're being rude. I see a lot of fights break out. And just like i say people not following the rules and i've never seen this before this and i get to think scared i catch a bus a lot because i don't have a car and i see all sorts and hear all sorts of things and accusations fights uh people acting weird acting strange uh, being rude to one another and i've never really seen this uh here in, in washington until this hit the scene. And so let's talk about some of the changes that you have
0: seen in Seattle. Uh, That seems to be one of them. Do you want to expand upon that, or are there any other changes that have impacted you negatively?
2: No, nothing other than, like I say, uh, I can't do the things that I used to do. Uh, I like to be more involved in Q&As, being in the music scene. And I'm not going to sit up here and lie. It's had a big impact. Um, my life, and I'm sure it has others. Are there any changes that you've observed in Seattle
0: uh, in the last nine months or so that have impacted you positively?
2: I can think of ways how things can be better, but that also goes back to the things that I've been describing to you. Uh, And other than that, no, I really haven't. you got to keep in mind, I'm not out and about like I used to, where you can see different things or different changes. I'm out probably two or three times a day going grocery shopping or paying bills like I say riding the bus so you see what it is but I haven't had a chance to adventure like I did before this came so I haven't really seen much other than what I just explained to you. Is there anything that you would ask of the listener
0: uh, that could help either you personally or help build the city that you would like to see going forward?
2: Yes, I would. And I'm glad you brought that point up. What I would like to say number 1, please go out and vote. I'm telling you, I can't say that enough. This is the most important election in my times that I've ever seen. New this year to Seattle Growth podcast, I'm
0: doing trivia about Seattle, about Washington, about uh, the University of Washington. Uh, and it's a fun way to just see, uh, share some facts with the listeners and and test my guests here. Today's trivia question is about the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, where I'm a professor. I am in the Marketing and International Business Department, and I'm curious if you could guess how many academic departments are there at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. So marketing is one of them, Marketing and International Business, and you just have to pick a number, and then I will let you know and the audience if you
2: are correct. Well, you got me there, but I'm going to take a chance and pick a number. I would say 20. Okay. 20 is the guess, and we will keep the listeners in
0: suspense. (laughs) Uh, And I will let you know, we'll keep you in suspense as well about how many academic departments there are at the Foster School of Business. Before I reveal that, I want to ask you, what is your outlook for the future of Seattle? The last 10 years we had Unprecedented amount of money and people moving into the city. Covered a lot of the changes in the Central District in the documentary On the Brink, which you generously shared, your fantastic music to help transport people back. I'm curious what you think the next 10 years holds and what the next few months holds for the city of Seattle.
2: Well, let me start off first of all saying I hope I'm around <laughs> because the way I see things, time is short. It really is. None of us never know when the day and hour that the Lord calls up on us. But what I would like to see if I'm around, I would like to see that this hunger and everything that we're going through at this time is over with so people can get back to normalcy, uh, get back to doing what they love doing, uh, get back to seeing people gather together and we don't have to wear masks and be six feet apart and uh, I just hope the best from there i'm really counting on that
0: now i want to give you a chance to have concluding thoughts but first you've been waiting patiently for the answer to the trivia question and so has the listener how many academic departments does the foster school of business have they have five Uh, so i'm pleased that you gave it a guess and uh, the correct answer is five there is marketing and international business accounting management and organization information systems and operations management and uh, finance and econom and business economics
2: oh my lord you know what makes me mad jeff i started to say 10. (laughs) but i said no if i said 10 or 5 that would probably i know that would be too low well you gave me the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you gave it a guess,
0: which is all I could ask in this world. And, uh, you know, when you when you hear the names of them, you see several different disciplines are kind of put together in one department. So sure. you could, uh, 10 would have been close, too, since oh, we're my marketing and international business and so on. <laughs> uh, but so that's trivia about the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. Thanks for playing along. Uh, I want to turn the mic to you. Any concluding thoughts to share with the listener?
2: Yeah, this... Uh... Uh, Keep on doing the best that you can in life. Uh, Try to treat others the way you want to be treated. And let's all pray that we can come together, watch each other's back, get through this crisis that we're going through, and get back to normalcy. Robbie, it's been an absolute honor working with you uh, and sharing the music
0: in the documentary On the Brink. Uh, going around place to place and sharing your perspective after the movie. And it's great to have your time and perspective here today. Robbie, thank you very much for joining me
2: today. And I just want to give a shout out to my daughter, Shantae Hill, that I love, and her daughter, Naya, and her husband, Charlie. Thank you folks so much, and I love you.
0: That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I'm enjoying hearing how listeners like you are reacting to the interviews that I share. That's at Prof Shulman on Twitter, or follow the Seattle Growth Podcast Facebook page. It is great to be back and to be back with more options for you to listen than ever before. Seattle Growth Podcast, and now radio show, is available on all major podcasting platforms and on the radio airwaves. Still to come on this season of Seattle Growth Podcast are interviews with business leaders, cultural leaders, small business owners, and everyday people who make Seattle what it is. Next week's episode features the president and CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association, John Scholes, and it also features a star in the documentary On the Brink, Jez Darnell Henton. I hope you'll join me next week, and in the meantime, I'm Jeff Schulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the return of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show.